0: Good morning, everybody. So, so good to be with you at One Chapel Lake Travis. I love being here. I love joining you. It's such, a, such an amazing thing. I'm hearing really awesome stories about what's happening at Lake Travis, really great stories that are happening all around One Chapel. Did you know uh, Easter was two weeks ago, right? And we had everybody fill out these cards, right, that just kind of given, gave a survey and all that kind of thing. Well, as you went through the, as you went through the thing at the end, A, B, C, or D, you remember this? A was like, I'm already in a relationship, B is I'm beginning, C is oh, I need to consider it a little bit more, and D was like, get out of here. So, so 80 people marked B, I'm beginning a relationship with Jesus, across all One Chapel campuses. 80 people said I'm beginning a relationship with God today. That is an amazing thing. Yeah. Imagine how incredible that is. People saying yes to Jesus all on one day. It's amazing. So grateful. Thank you for enduring the survey, right? Thank you for those of you who come all the time. But maybe, maybe Easter was your first Sunday and you're here and you're starting to find your way. Um but this is such a great family of believers. One Chapel, you're part of a big family. Did you know this? The One Chapel family. And then One Chapel, of course, is part of a bigger family of the, 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 the body of Jesus Christ, right? Like churches all over our city this morning. And so, um, so wonderful to celebrate uh, people beginning a relationship with Jesus. And then last week, we had 52 baptisms. 52 people said... I want to go public with my faith. I don't want to just mark a card. I want people to know. I want to be accountable to what God is doing in my life. I want to be part of the family, and it's so amazing. And you guys had baptisms here. We had baptisms at the other campuses. Such an incredible thing. You're part of something that Jesus is doing. And I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful for uh, all of you and the way you uh, lean in and the way you serve and the way you take care of each other. It is the thing that makes church the place to be, right? It's not just a ritual, it's not just an obligation, it's not a duty, it is actually a family. And it's so important to remember that as we're, as we're going through uh, life, you know, because life's full of ups and downs, isn't it? There's a lot of unexpected things that happen in life. And our stories, you know, we're in this series called Resurrection Stories, and our stories sometimes <clears throat> are confusing. Sometimes they don't turn out like we think they should, right? It reminds me, uh, talking about baptism reminds me of one of my kids. I have, um, I have five kids. And um, I forgot to introduce my wife. Here's my wife, Amy. Come on, come on, come on, stand up, stand up. You can't see it in the dark, but we dressed exactly alike today. It was really embarrassing. She came out of the closet. I came out of the bathroom. I was like, anyway, it's fine. It's fine. We're together. So... Our fourthborn's name is Ethan, and he is the most um, outgoing of all the Parsley kids. And he just loves, it. wherever the party is, he wants to be there. And if there's no party there, he will make one. And so I just think it's so wonderful. And so, but when he was in first grade, I believe it is, he said, he came to home from school one day and he'd been thinking about something because we just had baptisms at church. And he said to his mom, he said, Mom, I, I've decided I wanna, I wanna do two things. I want to get braces, right? As he's been thinking about it. Smart, yep, yeah, smart. Just thinking, thinking about his teeth. Good dental health. He said, "I want to, I want to get braces, and I want to get paralyzed." <laughs> what do you? She's like, "You want to get paralyzed? What are you? What, what are you saying? You know that thing where they take you and they, you know, at church they put you under the water." She's like. Oh, you mean baptize? He's like, yeah, 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 that's it. That's it. That's it. It's funny. It's funny. So often our stories seem to go off track. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what's happening. And sometimes we don't know how to tell our stories. We don't know how to share our stories. It's a, there's a difficulty in sharing it because so often our stories aren't quite finished. Isn't that Right. I mean none of us will really be finished until we're done in this body <laughs> and we'll 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 surrender our bodies for an eternity you know with Jesus or without Jesus that's what creates the urgency of our faith the urgency is everybody's story is going to come to an end we just talked about the Nicene Creed, and there's that little we, we talked about the judge. There will be a judgment day where God will look down and he'll evaluate everybody. And the the beautiful thing about Jesus is He brings, He brings His love and grace and compassion into our lives. And, and he, he is the judge. Jesus is the judge, but he also gave his life. He also laid down his life for you so that if you will trust in him, if you will trust in his way, if you will let your story be defined by his story, then you don't have to worry about judgment. Yeah, that's good. And I just think we gotta remember that there's an urgency about this kind of thing. This, last week, I was... Um, I was doing what I always do on Friday morning at 6:30. I was at a men's group, and I was—we were several guys in the room. And um, our Friday morning group's called Brotherhood. I have another one on Tuesday afternoon at 4:30, and it's called Brotherhood. And this is something really important when men get together and they pray and they talk about Jesus. God does something. It's so good. And so on Friday, we began to share because we've been in this series. Of course, we kicked it off last week, and. There's one guy who, you know, we just started sharing our stories. We, we kind of opened it up, we read the scripture, and then we started talking about just different things. And before long, guys were just sharing their stories. And one guy, <clears throat> he'd been an alcoholic for a long time and, and was 10 months sober in that group. And, and we wanted to share what Jesus is doing in his life. One guy admitted that he had been deceived for a very long time in his life and he refused to believe in Jesus, and one day, Jesus showed him who he was. Another man confessed of a long struggle with pornography and cheating on his wife, and he talked about it with tears, and a long process of reconciling with his wife. But today, he and his wife remain married, healed, and delivered, and reconciled and redeemed. You guys, that story is amazing. Other men reveal that they were currently in the midst of a lot of conflict with their own hearts and their own lives, dealing with issues of control. By the way, everybody has a problem with control. Yep. Nudge your neighbor, say he's talking about you. He, everybody has issues with control. Everybody has issues with money. Everybody has to figure out how to surrender money and career, careers and opinions to God. We all have to surrender those things. His opinion is the only one that counts. And so we ended with this prayer time. We talked about all these things. We asked God to forgive us and heal us and restore us, and we were better for it. Sharing your stories is really Powerful. So often we're afraid to share our stories with each other, though. We're afraid. We're we're hesitant. We're embarrassed. We're too fearful. We're too ashamed. The scripture teaches us we should confess our sins one to another so that we can be healed. That's what James 5, 16 says. Confess your sins. But we're afraid to confess our sins to one another. We only want to confess them to God, which is not bad. That'll get you forgiveness but what will get you healing is confessing to one another. that's good preaching. One of my favorite storytelling passages within the scripture is Revelation 12, 10 through 11. And it's on the screen. If you wanna follow along in the message notes, you can do that. You can use that QR code on your bulletin or you can just turn in your Bible. But Revelation 12, 10 says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven. This is the apocalyptic revelation of the apostle John. And he sees this thing playing out in heaven. And he says, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority. Everybody say authority. Authority and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And then this verse, verse 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, which is awesome. And then there's a third thing. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Think about this. We overcome the enemy in our souls, the enemy of our souls, by the blood of the Lamb. That is salvation for you and me. He died so you don't have to die a terrible death and live an eternity without God. There's nothing worse than an eternity without God. And and so that's been done. Jesus did it. It's done. All you got to do is say, yes, I received that. But then there's this second thing. The word of our testimony. Everybody say testimony. My testimony, my story. And that's something that's so powerful, our willingness to tell our story. But then he says this third thing, by not loving our lives so much as to shrink back from death. Where does that come from? It comes from believing in resurrection life and power. That's right. That Jesus was actually raised from the dead. Do you guys realize that we believe some crazy things? You realize this, it, t- it requires faith. It requires a leap of faith for sure. But we believe that a man died and then was raised back to life forever. Yeah. Amen. Forever, he didn't die again. Like we talked about, I, I, I don't think you talked about it here, but I talked about Lazarus a couple Sundays ago. Uh, and, and Lazarus died, but then Jesus raised him from the dead, but he died again. Right. He was actually resuscitated. He didn't experience. He he got a taste is what happened. He got a taste of resurrection life. We believe in resurrection life and power. We don't shrink back from death because we're not afraid of it. We are resurrection people and we tell resurrection stories. This is who we are. I want to challenge you with this today, this idea. Here's what I'm gonna talk about today. The power of sharing your story is that it opens up the door. It opens the door for others to share their story. Yeah, that's true. It only takes one. I've been a part of many men's groups. I've been a part of many groups in my life with Jesus in the church. And what I see happen all the time is one person shares the depth from the depths of their soul, and everybody else is willing to jump in. But if that one person doesn't share, everybody stays clammed up. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what it is. We're ashamed. We're embarrassed. We're afraid. We're afraid of other people's opinions. First Peter, he was often afraid of other people's opinions. And yet he found something in telling his story, he writes it in 1 Peter 1, 3. He says, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, this resurrection story defines us. And so we cannot just tell the resurrection story of Jesus. That's a good story to tell. But you have a story where his resurrection intersects with your devastation. And something happens to you and me. And so we're in this series, we're gonna talk about uh, some people who witnessed resurrection power. Today we're gonna talk about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene and her story of deliverance. John 20, verse one through 16, you can join me there. John 20, it'll be on the screen. John 21 through 16 says... not if you know who's writing the story. <laughs> who's writing the story is John, the guy who outran Peter. <laughs> he wants you to know. Verse 5. He bent over Oh, sorry. Both were running, but the other side outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. So John gets there first, but he hesitates. He's there. He's not sure what he wants to do. He's afraid of being maybe disappointed again. He's unsure of what is next. His world is reorienting. Verse six then Simon Peter came, bent over, and looked. At- In at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then, oh, sorry, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. John wants you to know that he was the believer. Peter was bewildered. John believed. <laughs> Parenthesis, parentheses, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They were still like, death is final. That's what people know. They're, they're trying to figure out what this is. Verse 10, then, a discip- then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She's still consumed with death thinking. So many of us are still consumed with death thinking. Verse 15, verse 14, it says, "'At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, "'but she did not realize that it was Jesus. "'He asked her, "'Woman, why are you crying? "'Who is it you're looking for?' "'Thinking he was the gardener, she said, "'Sir, if you have carried him away, "'tell me where you have put him and I will get him.'" This is why sometimes our stories are confusing. Things are hidden from us. We're still stuck in our death thinking. We see our story only from our own point of view and not from God's point of view. We can't make the leap to supernatural thinking. We can't make the leap to supernatural faith. This is what Mary's problem is. She can't quite get there yet. In fact, it's so bad that she's blinded She's talking to Jesus right there. She's blind. And who knows? Jesus may have had a little cloak on or something, and she couldn't see his face. She's, she, it appears she's crying, and she's kind of just talking to him as he's standing there. Where is he? I don't, who knows? Here's what I know. When people don't believe in resurrection life and power, they're blinded from what the reality of Jesus is. Verse 16 Here it is, Jesus said to her, Mary. (sighs) Somebody said, I can't remember who it was, but there's no sweeter sound than the sound of your own name. Jesus says her name and immediately she's heard that name said before by those lips, by, by that voice. She's heard it before. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she said, do not. And so Jesus said, so she hugs him, obviously, and she's hanging on to him. She can't. She's like, oh, what is happening here? He says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them he had said these things to her. What an incredible thing. Now, if you go a little farther, if you read all the Gospels, the men, they didn't believe the women. (laughs) Happens all the time. (laughs) Let me just tell you, after 31 years of marriage, the women are right. (laughs) But Mary's story is is an exceptional story. It's a story of bondage. It's a story of shame. It's a story of fear. And then she was freed from that story only to have another story of disappointment and grief and fear again. She was a supporter of Jesus. She was all in in following him. She followed him full time. That's Luke 8, 2 and Mark sixteen nine tells us, they they tell us of her background. They say that she had seven demons cast out of her. She was consumed by the influence of demonic spirits, enslaved to darkness, to to real blindness. Here it is in Luke 8, I'll just read it. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The 12 were with him, And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Shuza or Kuzah, or some other way to say it that I don't know, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now listen, some biblical scholars have suggested that the number seven is significant here, It might correspond to some words that Jesus had even said earlier in the kind of his sermon on the Mount. In Luke 11, just a few chapters later, he says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it, and then it says, I'll return to the house I left, and when it arrives, it finds the house swept and clean and put in order. But then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Yeah, what a trip. See, people don't realize that everything in our world has spiritual implications. And they get involved in all kinds of things that are spiritual, spiritually uh, discerned and spiritually uh, powerful and and that power ends up on both sides of the spectrum powerful in sinfulness and shame and hatred and and lies and powerful in deliverance and freedom and forgiveness but it's 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 two ends of the spectrum and what what some biblical scholars have done is they've they've intersected this this this, this idea of so they say the number 7 might be descriptive of Luke might have used it as a reference to just how messed up Mary really was. She was messed up than anybody, more messed up than anybody else. Mary was demonized so horribly that the miracle of deliverance became her story. Now, I'm just going to pause here and say, you know, some of you are... Really, um, demonized is a good word to use. You know, everybody gets worried about whether it's oppressed or possessed or whatever it is. You've all seen the horror movies. Listen, listen here's the problem: demonized. The, the definition is what the NIV uses. It means under the influence of a demon. And some of you think that you, as Christians, don't ha- can't be under the influence of a demon. I had a, I heard a pastor say one time. I used to believe that, but then I had a lot of board meetings at church and realized <laughs> that the demons are there. <laughs> Listen, the ideology, the power of renewing your mind, what Paul says in Romans 12, must happen. You, you and I have to renew our minds. We have strongholds. We have hurts. We have wounds from our past. We have ways of thinking about the world that we fit into this little box. We become myopic. We only see it through a tunnel. And God is wanting to reveal the full spectrum of his love and grace and mercy and his power in the world. You and I, that's, what, that's the journey we're on. Why does he want to do it? That's what resurrection power is. It's the full spectrum. Because if death can be conquered, anything is possible. Amen. You guys, this is how we have to think. Oh, I don't know if God can take care of this in my life. It's really tough, Like, it's, I don't know. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't really want to give up this thing in my life. I like it. It's my pet. (laughs) Jesus wants to reveal to you the full spectrum of how powerful his love is, how powerful his authority is. Jesus and his authority is strong enough to deliver the most messed up, tormented, wicked, sinful, and demonic and confused person that there is. Listen, Mary was really, 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 really messed up. I don't care what's going on in your life. You're probably no match for what was going on with Mary. You're better off than Mary right now. I promise. You know why? Because you're sitting here. Jesus can deliver you from whatever has you bound. Whatever thing keeps chasing you down, whatever the enemy keeps tormenting you with, He can do it. Mary moved from darkness and bondage to freedom. You you, you may need deliverance from the habits and addictions. And because here's the thing, you know, here's how it works. Jesus starts something new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that suddenly, everything in your life is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. So you are a new creation when you come to believe in Jesus. And he starts down in the center of your life, the center of who you are, your heart. He starts with your spirit and he changes everything on the inside. But sadly, you're still living in this physical body with appetites and addictions. And so he starts to work his way out a little bit at a time a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, revealing his power, revealing his authority, revealing how good it is to surrender to him when we don't think that's the best idea, revealing what is possible for you because it's not just, a for, it's not just forgiveness you and I need. We need healing and deliverance and power to live this life. And that's what he started with Mary. That becomes his story. You say, Pastor Ross, you don't know what I've done. Listen, I don't need to. Jesus knows everything. He knows all about it. And he doesn't care where you've been. He cares where you're going. And so I was thinking about my own life this week, and it's really you know, important for you to understand that all of us have to share our story. I'm gonna share something with you that I haven't shared with a lot of people. I was born into a strict, some would say, overly religious pastor's family. My dad was a disciplinarian, and my mom um, was, uh, she struggled with mental illness. We didn't know it then. We didn't, nobody used those terms then. Um, But she, I have vivid memories of uh, myself and my brothers being abused by her as little children. And I, it 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 was a it was a sort of a tormented life I think that I lived and you you don't know it's tormented until you realize what freedom looks like right so you so you so you have this little box and your family and the 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 tough. Issues of your parents that they don't even know are going on are being played out in your kids, and then you and that's why having kids is so risky. And uh, and so, and so, but all your kids they have to meet Jesus for themselves, regardless of their hurts. And so I had to go through this myself when I when I was 17 years old. My mom disappeared one day. She just out of the blue. Um, she'd had several episodes throughout our lives. I was 17, my brother's 15, my youngest brother was nine. And, and, and she just disappeared one day, took my nine-year-old brother, eight-year-old brother and, and disappeared. We didn't know where she was for several months. And my dad was, you know, I mean, this is the thing is my dad was the preacher and my mom played the organ and the piano. That's the church I grew up in. And it wasn't that they were um, uh, resistant to God. God had done a lot of stuff in their lives but they were carrying the pain of their own history and they didn't know how to get free. And uh, they didn't know how, I mean, therapy essentially didn't exist for a Christian in those days, which is kind of sad. You know, uh, I think think there's so many places to go here. Let me just say, all of us carry some baggage and we need ways to work it out with other people. And that's what the power of a small group is. That's what the power of, of talking with your pastor is. That's the power of a therapist who will walk with you and help you with tools. Biblical counseling is really powerful. Knowing the word and what God says about you is what defines you, and learning how to work through that. That's what becoming a disciple of Jesus is. But my parents, so, so we didn't know where she was, my parents finally divorced, it blew the church up, it blew every, it blew the family up. A lot of pain and a lot of sort of disappointment. Um, I, think, I think my life was marked with disappointment, with fear, with anxiety, uh, with crushing worry. I think my life <clears throat> my life still tries to be marked by it. I have to work for that not to be the defining characteristic of my life. And I have worked. And Jesus has done great stuff in me. And it's been beautiful. And yet I still find myself having to wrestle. Good news, I married the opposite of me. <laughs> I'm a rainy cloud guy, bright sunshine girl. It's really helpful to marry the right person. It's really painful to marry the wrong person. But here's the thing. Jesus can work in whatever decisions you've made. Yeah. Resurrection, life, and power means anything's possible. Even mistakes and failures of your past. I, I often say, um, when I'm just talking to people, I, I haven't said it out loud publicly like in this setting, but if you knew what goes on in my head, you'd be so proud of me. <laughs> My resurrection story is about God replacing love where fear used to reign. My resurrection story is about joy and peace replacing shame and anxiety. It's amazing. Mary was the first to experience this idea of a resurrection power, of the resurrected Christ. But her testimony was problematic, you guys. Think about this, it wouldn't, it would Her testimony wouldn't even have held up in court in her day. Do you realize this? In the Gospel of Luke, he includes, in his account of the resurrection, he includes the other women at the tomb as well. John doesn't include that part, but you can tell by her language. She actually says the word we, and so it, it may be that he just shortened the story. But, but the, the women at the tomb, they came and... You have to understand that women were not respected in this culture at all. Women were mistreated. They were second-class citizens. They were belittled. They were abused. They were used like property. It was a dangerous time for women. And so think about this. These women's witness would only undermine the credibility of the resurrection. And there must have been enormous pressure. Think about this. There must have been enormous pressure on the early church to remove the women's accounts because it would work against the authority of this resurrection. But they couldn't get rid of the women's accounts. Why? Because the records were too well known. They couldn't. Everybody would have known. The story had been told everywhere. Mary's story was told over and over and over again. Mary was known as the one that casts the seven demons out. Oh, yeah. She was really messed up. That's her story for the rest of time and eternity. Here we are, 2023. We're talking about a woman who had seven demons cast out of her. (laughs) My throat's hurting. (laughs) I took Zyrtec D yesterday because I had to mow the yard. And now I'm just all dried up. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I wish I had some water. (laughs) I want you to look at, I want you to look at this. The story of Mary was well, too well known. Look at verse 11 again. Verse 11 says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, you and I just read the account. Didn't John say he ran to the tomb faster than Peter? Isn't that what happened? Didn't he say that he stopped at the tomb and didn't go in? Didn't he say that Peter then went past him and leaned in to see the strips of linen? And then John himself also leaned in and saw those strips of linen lying there. Didn't he just say that? Where were the angels? Verse 11 says, Mary wept, stood there weeping. She stayed there. The other two left. That's what verse 10 says. The other two went back to where they were staying. Mary leans over and looks in. And suddenly two angels are there. And they say this famous phrase. Why are you looking for the living among the dead. Listen, I think Mary was chosen by God himself to be the first witness, the first witness. You understand that Jesus was always breaking through cultural barriers of his day. He did it with women. He did it with lepers. He did it with the poor. He did it with the sick. He did it with outcasts. The message of the resurrection story of Mary's resurrection story and of your story is we are not marginalized by our own genetics, by our own history, by our own poverty, by our race. We are valued for who we are. We are embraced by God himself. Our story is redeemed by the resurrection story of Jesus. But here's the thing, your story must be told. It must be told. Final verse, Colossians 2, 14 through 15. When you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. You weren't even capable of it, but God brought you alive. God did that. You had to be open, you had to be willing, but God's the one that made you alive. Right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. What does that mean? Where'd the nakedness come from? You have to understand, in ancient days, an ancient king would have marched the king he conquered, the people he went and conquered, when he came back from, his, from the battles, from the war, he would have a parade into the city and he would drag the conquered king behind them, sh- ashamed, embarrassed, totally belittled, naked through the streets. You guys, but that's what Paul's referring to here. That's how, that's why he's using this language, because they all understood it in those ancient, in that ancient time frame, they would understand what he's talking about. But you don't, because nobody ever does that. <laughs> what Paul's saying here is that the enemy of your soul is conquered. Yes. It's over. Awesome. It's over. All you have to do is accept what Jesus says. What Jesus says has done what Jesus will do when you surrender. The enemy of your soul, Satan himself, is defeated. And that's why he's overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. (laughs) And he also is overcome by the fact that you don't love your life more than death. You're willing to go to the grave for this. You're willing to be persecuted. You're willing to become martyred. Oh wait, what, Pastor Ross, how'd we get there suddenly? I thought you were talking to me about resurrection life and power. <clears throat> yes, resurrection life and power is not just for today, it's for the future as well. But you can live in it, you can live in that mindset here today. You can live in a way that you don't ever shrink back from death. Yeah. You can live in a way that you don't ever have to shrink back from anything. Because you have power. So worry doesn't dominate you because you know it's going to turn out okay in the end. And turning out okay in the end is kind of a misnomer here because you have to realize that every one of the disciples ended up martyrs. We don't like that part of the story. Can we go like to some other story where it says that God blesses me and everything and I have all that I, all, my, all this money and I have everything and I can dominate the world? <laughs> can we talk about that? Yeah, the problem is the gospel is upside down. You dominate the world by giving up. You push against the enemy by surrendering to Jesus in every way. You, you overcome by what Jesus, by accepting what Jesus has done. And then you tell that story. You and I have to tell our stories. You know why we're afraid to tell our stories? We're afraid we'll be labeled, labeled as something. A bunch of us are afraid to tell it because people will think we're evangelical Christians who vote for Trump. Some of you that are sitting here, you've never voted Republican in your life, and you're like, oh, that'd be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, Jesus says we have to give all that up. We gotta get all give give all that up. Let it go. Ben, would you come forward? I'm 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 done. <laughs> I don't know what your timing is or I'm I, okay, good. I mean, I have more notes, but I don't have any more time. So I want us to go to worship, and and here's what I want. I want you to come to the Lord's table. We have communion elements at the front here, and um, the way we do it is we'll begin to worship, and when you're ready, you can come up and get one of these communion elements, and then you can take it back to your seat, and I want you to think about what Jesus is gonna put his finger on for you today. What is he gonna say to you? What do you need to give up? Maybe it's your pride, you're afraid to tell your story. Maybe it's your fears, maybe it's the opinions of others. Maybe it's the the sense in your own life that it's not gonna turn out okay. Jesus came to make all things new. He can make your heart new today. He can get rid of all the poison and all the stuff. He can get rid of all the addictions and all the appetites. He can show you how. You gotta walk that out, but you gotta start with the blood of the lamb and then you go to the word of the testimony and then you learn how not to love your life so much that you won't hold anything back. <laughs> That's the process. That's the journey. And I want you to give in to that journey today. And so I want you to just sit there. I want you to think about what Jesus is doing and what he has done in your life. And I want you to, something will happen. The Holy Spirit will bring something to your mind and and you'll have to decide, okay, am I gonna give this up? And I want you to do it because you know that Jesus is the most kind and beautiful savior, that he's the one who delivers and heals and rescues and reveals resurrection life and power even today, even before we die. So come on all over the room, just open up your palms like this on your, on your lap. Just, like, just open it up. Father, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you that you rescued me. Thank you that you helped me overcome. Thank you that you're continuing to help me overcome. Thank you for your participation in every story in the room. (laughs) There's nobody in this room where you haven't been involved. And so I thank you for that. And we thank you. And We come to this moment and we realize our resurrection story needs to be told. Show us how to tell it. Show us how to reveal it. Show us how to be ready. Show us how to be prepared. Show us how to do what you've said. Have your way in our lives. We come to this table and we remember Jesus. We remember his story, the story of all stories, the greatest story ever told. And we take his story into our story. And we say, yes, Jesus. Yes to resurrection life. We thank you for this, in Jesus' name, amen. You can come when you're ready.